Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Not sure what happened. Just there. Hold on. Hi. That was much better. This is going so well already. Um, <laughs> who's laughing right there? I love you. Um, stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Uh, so before we get into what we want to talk about today, I do want to say uh, real quickly, uh, Shauna had mentioned about our new pastor, Pastor Dennis. Um, and I've known uh, Pastor Dennis a little bit uh, for several years now, stalked him on Facebook followed him on Facebook, Facebook friends. Um, we are in for a treat at Kingsburg. Like God has blessed us richly. Uh, when past, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when, when Pastor Rachel called to tell me that he was coming to be the next senior pastor at Kingsburg Church, I was like, whoa, really? Like not on my radar at all. And so uh, we are in for a treat. He's a great guy. Um, I, I'm not sure about the whole mo motorcycle riding. It seems dangerous, but you know, to each their own. Uh, but uh, we are gonna miss uh, Pastor Rachel and her family so desperately. But God's got good things in store for us in this next chapter with Pastor Dennis, Pastor Rachel um, coming here. So there you go, PSA and if. Uh, so we just walked through, uh, did I say who I was? I didn't. My name is Fitz. I'm the family ministry pastor. We're off to a great start. Anyway, um, we just walked through graduation season. Uh, as you know, some of you are, you know, firsthand in that. I went to a graduation open house just yesterday. And graduation season brings with it all sorts of different thoughts and emotions and feelings and all that stuff. I have a good friend whose son just graduated, uh, getting ready to go to college. And my, my friend is wrestling with all the stuff that comes with that, like the joy and the excitement and the sadness and the anticipation and the fear, like all the stuff wrapped up in this really messy emotional ball that he is walking through. And, and this season, this graduation season, combined with the series, has allowed me to reflect on my own college years. I began college at Lorain County Community College back in <coughs> a year prior to this one. And, um, and I, I went to this college for an excellent and well thought out reason. It was across the street from my house. So it's like, I should go there. That, that makes a lot of sense. And um, plenty of my friends had decided to go to Christian colleges, which I could have done. A number of them went to Cedarville just down the road here, uh, Liberty University, Moody. Um, but I wanted to see if this life that I was living, if this faith that I said that I had, I wanted to see if it was real or if it was not. You know, it was really easy to live my faith. I went to a Christian school. I went to, to Bible class every day. I went to chapel every Thursday. I was in church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening. So it was really easy to be a Christian and live my faith out. But I wanted to see if it was real. Like when I faced opposition, when I faced resistance, was I still going to be, believe, live this faith that I said that I believed or was it just going to be a phase that I walked through? 
And it didn't take long uh, to experience the struggles that I wondered about as I began my college journey. I quickly got involved in the television broadcasting department um, at my college. Didn't really use the degree at all, but it's fine. I'm not bitter. Don't feel like I wasted my money. Um, and I got immersed with other students from the get-go. In that program, you're, you're involved in a lot of hands-on projects with other students, um, as well as a weekly news program. We produced a 15-minute weekly news program about the college about what was happening at the college and sent it out to local public access television stations. And I wish there were pictures and videos available uh, because my mullet was on point. <laughs> it, was, it was so good. I actually have a, a couple of videos at home, but uh, nobody has a VCR. It's weird. Anyway, um, so, uh, but of my fellow students, let's just say none of them saw the world or God, or morality, quite the same way that I did. Seemingly none of them came from the same upbringing that I did. It didn't seem that any of them had a faith component that affected their lives in any way, shape, or form. It, it, it wasn't that I was any better than any of them. That is not what I'm saying, because if you know my personality, if you know my psychology, you know that I don't think I'm better than anybody at anything. It was just that I had experienced something different. I had experienced something that fundamentally changed who I was, something that gave me hope, something that gave me a purpose. And that life change affected how I interacted with everyone and everything. It affected uh, my relationships, including those who I went to college with. Now, by and large, it wasn't a terrible existence. We, we worked hard together. We played hard together. We had lots of laughs. We had many memories together. We, we frequently, you know, you had to sign out with security at the college every night at nine o'clock, and so we would send someone to sign everybody out and then go back to the studio and keep working till like 11.30 or midnight. Don't tell anyone, okay? But we would do that, and we made all sorts of memories. But at the same time, I, I also dealt with a decent amount of resistance based on what I believed and based on how I chose to live my life. The fact that I didn't drink, the fact that I didn't dabble in drugs, the fact that I didn't come in on Monday morning talking about my exploits with my girlfriend, which I didn't even have a girlfriend, um, that sort of set me apart and gave them fodder for ridicule, gave them fodder for resistance. And so it was a struggle for me to live what I believed, a desire to live free from these various encumbrances while facing opposition from those who believed differently than I did. And I don't think any of them were trying to be hostile, but it was still difficult for me. After two years there, I then uh, transferred to Bowling Green State University, the second of three colleges that I shared money with. Um, and it didn't, it didn't get any easier. Uh, there was a guy who lived two doors down from us, um, and he, he, he clearly saw the world differently than I did. And as a result, he was very hostile towards me. There were many nights when I would be in my bedroom trying to sleep and my roommate would come home after, after hopping around the bars with this guy from two doors down and I would hear this guy threatening me. I'm in there trying to sleep and he's talking about beating the crap out of me. And like he said some of these things to my face on occasion too. So clearly that was, that was super stressful for me. Can you relate? Can you relate to this? 
Have you ever faced resistance because of something you stood for, because of something you believed in? Maybe you did what you thought was the right thing to do at work instead of cutting corners like everyone else was doing, and you heard it from them. Maybe you pointed your finger at uh, racism in our society, and uh, the backlash was swift. It was severe. Or or maybe you voted for a particular candidate. I'm not going to say which one, but you voted for someone, and your friend group went from this to this. You faced resistance, and you wonder, how could that be? Like, to you, this seems pretty obvious. This, this way of believing, this way of thinking, this way of life, how could anyone see things differently than you do? It's so obvious. And yet they do. They do see things differently. If you were to look around the room right now, don't do it. It'll get weird. Just don't. You would set your eyes on someone who has a, a story similar to yours. And here's why. Just as set as you are in your belief system, there are 8 billion people, close to 8 billion people in the world, none of whom see everything exactly like you do. They all have a different family of origin. They all have different experiences. They all have different close communities. They all have different latitude and longitude, and as a result, they see things differently than you do. Paul and Barnabas face this reality in the New Testament book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in those to the book of Acts chapter 14. If you have an app, you can swipe and tap to it. If you're new to the Bible, it's towards the back of the Bible. It's in what we call the New Testament right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll be in Acts 14. Now the book of, um, the book of Acts basically tells the story of the early church. So you are here today largely as a result of what we read in the book of Acts. And part of that story, a large chunk of that story, is the aforementioned Paul as he traveled around the Mediterranean region telling people about Jesus and inviting them into the Jesus life. Now, just before the passage we're about to read, Paul and Barnabas have arrived in a town called Lystra, and when they get there, they encounter a man who, um, who has been disabled in both legs. He's never been able to walk his entire life. And this man had been hearing Paul teach about Jesus, and Paul looks at him and thinks, I think he believes he can be healed. Now, I don't know what that looks like. What, I, I don't know what Paul saw in him. Was like, like I, was it like, like, I don't know what it looks like, but Paul saw something to him, in him, and he calls to him, and he stands up, he calls to him and tells him to stand up, and he does. Now, you're sitting here listening, going, yeah, of course. Like, I've read the Bible. I know these things happen. Like, God heals people and heals women and men, right? But think about it. Like, when you really think about it, this dude had never walked, ever, had never taken a step. And Paul says something to him, and he gets up and walks, Like, think about how mind-blowing and life-altering that would have been to everybody there that day. People witnessing it, the man, the man's family. Like, I never have to make my brother a sandwich again? Like, he can do it on his own? 
Fantastic. This is great. It would have changed everything for everyone there that day. You see, Paul and Barnabas, they heard a call. They experienced a call to go to the world, Lystra included, and share the good news of the one who'd called them. And when they started following Jesus, they experienced just a, a, an amazing grace kind of transformation that changed everything. It, it changed the tra trajectory of their lives. It changed what they valued. It changed what they determined to be important ways to spend their time and their energy and finances. And that's what they were doing. They were leaning into the call of Jesus on their lives. You and I, we... We have the same call on our lives. We have that. First of all, there's that initial call that Jesus gave to his disciples and gives to people today, follow me. Follow me. Some of you have been trying to direct your own lives and in many ways you've seen that it just doesn't work out so well. You're leaning into money or jobs or relationships, whatever it is, and you walk away feeling any measure of unsatisfaction and Jesus is saying, I offer you more. I offer you more. I offer you peace and wisdom. I offer you contentment and strength. I don't offer you an easy life, but I do offer what you need and what you are looking for. And above all, that, above all else, I offer you love. Unmatched, unconditional love. A love that reconciles us to the God who's been pursuing us all along. Jesus is calling all of us to follow him in, uh, as we navigate this thing called life. And, and maybe you're here today and maybe you've never responded to that call. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've heard Jesus calling you to say, follow me, and you've never said yes. Uh, I'd say today is a really great day to do that. Today is a perfect day for you to say yes to Jesus. It'll change your life. Will it be super easy all the time? Nope. We're going to find out in just a second. But it's the best life. So if you want to say yes to Jesus today, stop at guest services on your way out. One of our hospitality team will meet you there and help you know what your next steps are. But there's a second part to the call. There's the call to follow me, but this call is to receive and to share the beauty of what Jesus offers with others. Not everyone has had the same experience with Jesus. Not everybody has heard this, this call. Not everybody has heard about the love that Jesus offers. In Matthew 28, in some of Jesus' final words, he tells his disciples to go and make disciples. And that can have some unfortunate connotations. Uh, people can turn that into a directive to simply go and make converts. Simply get people to say yes. People can turn it into a, a, a means to get people to pray a prayer of shame and forgiveness and that's it. But, but you know what? It is so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's an invitation into a new life. The gospel, a fancy word for good news, is more than just about gaining entrance to heaven. It's more than that. John the Baptist was in prison once. And while he was in prison, um, he, he sent some people to go talk to Jesus. He, he wanted to know if Jesus was really the Messiah or am I wasting my time rotting in prison? Like, am I wasting my time with this? 
And so Jesus sends, Jesus responds and instructs the disciples to go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Those who are blind are able to see. Those who were crippled now walk. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who were deaf now hear. Those who were dead are raised up. And good news is preached to the poor. The good news is about freedom. That's what the good news is about. Freedom from whatever holds you back. Freedom from whatever causes you pain and anxiety. Freedom from whatever anyone else uses to look at you and say, not good enough. Freedom from the limits of this world. Jesus offers freedom from the limitations that hold us back, whatever those might be. And that's what Paul and Barnabas offered to the man that day. Freedom from the limitations he had experienced his whole life. And and it played out pretty much exactly how you would have expected it to play out. Dude, that's incredible. How did you do that? That's awesome. Whatever this power that you have, we want some of that. And they followed Jesus and rode off into the sunset and everyone lived happily ever after. Not exactly. At first, they experienced a resistance of confusion. We read in verses 11 and 12, seeing what Paul had done, the crowd shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have taken human form and come down to visit us. They referred to Barnabas as Zeus and to Paul as Hermes, since Paul was the main speaker. See, the Lyconians drew from their working knowledge, which was the worship of these Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. And the ancients believed that the gods needed to be appeased, and if they were, good things would happen to you. If they were not, bad things would happen to you. This man, who had formerly been disabled, was now able to walk. So clearly, these are gods who have been appeased in some way, shape, or form. This man did something to appease these gods, and so therefore, good things happened to him. See, when you share the good news, the gospel with someone, there will not always be understanding complete or even in part because it's an imperfect human interaction and there will be misunderstandings because humans just don't know everything. And I am not only talking about the people you share the good news with, I'm talking about you too. I'm talking about me too. Y'all ain't got to figure it out, amen? Amen. Should be louder. Y'all ain't got to figure it out, amen? Amen. All right, amen, indeed, I agree, I'm on the same boat. We haven't figured it all out yet. So let's keep that in mind when we're tempted to judge anyone just because we've determined they haven't figured it all out yet. Because neither have I. But it's not just the resistance of confusion that Paul and Barnabas have to deal with the most. They also have to contend with the resistance of opposition, So after Paul and Barnabas attempted to clarify that they were not, in fact, Greek gods, that's when the religious leaders stepped in. Super interesting that when you read the Bible and the religious leaders step in, things get messy, which for those of us who are religious leaders, doesn't bode well for me, but that's a different message. Jumping down to verse 19, we read, Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived and won the crowds over. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. You healed this guy. Fantastic. 
we should kill you. Like, what the honk just happened there? How does this happen? This goes way beyond simply not understanding. This is glaring and violent opposition. This is more than just, I don't agree with you. This is me not liking what you're saying so much that I will do whatever is in my power to take you down, to discredit you, and in this case, to kill you. Now, sadly, this reaction is not relegated to the first century. You don't have to think long and hard to name an instance of someone being violently resisted against simply because of something they believed in or stood for. It could be political stances. It could be religious differences. It could be simply for how we view other humans. I have a pastor friend um, named Tom, and he ran up against this resistance of opposition. He worked at a large, uh, mostly white congregation, and Black History Month was coming up, so church leadership decided that uh, what they wanted to do is they wanted to address some issues of race. And so they took the four main teaching pastors, there were four unique worship services at this church, and they, each one of them took a topic about race, connected to race, and had them rotate between the four uh, worship services, the four Sundays of Black History Month. So race and healthcare, race and education. Well, my friend got the topic of race and violence. And he uh, approached the church leadership and said, we're going to get some pushback here. Is, is this okay? Like, do you have my back? Like, of course, we have your back. Well, in preparation for this message, I was talking through some of the talking points with him. And he wanted to make the point that we all have some measure of racism in us. And to do that, he, he made the statement, I am a racist. And, and as we got to this talking point, I just started chuckling. He looked at me, he's like, what? I'm like, dude, you're going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> he's like, am I going to get fired? I'm like, I don't know if you're going to get fired, but man, you're just going to get in trouble. So he goes out, he preaches uh, the message through the four services, but... As he's going through the four weeks of Black History Month, the power brokers made their voices heard. They approached church leadership, had various conversations, various meetings, various town halls. And by the end of that month, for preaching the message that he was asked to preach, he was fired. He was fired. Just like that. Listen, violent opposition still exists. When you share the good news with others, when you offer the life that Jesus offers, when you invite people into a life worth living, you can expect to face resistance in many forms and from different angles. You can lose friends. You can lose a job, as my, as my friend found out. You can lose comfort. And it won't only come from people outside the walls of the church. <laughs> some, of, some of the most glaring opposition is going to come from people inside the walls of the church. Now, most of the glaring violent resistance is not going to appear here like it does in other countries, but it is real. And I need to say something right here that's not even in my talk. Um, what I'm not saying is that we as Christians in America are persecuted. Because we are not. I see this on Twitter. I see people saying, oh, we're being persecuted as Christians. No, you're not. <laughs> you're here today. Ain't nobody coming through that door to arrest you or to kill you. We ain't persecuted. 
we're doing just fine. Let's, let's talk to some Christians in other countries about persecution. Does that mean we don't face opposition? No, we're still going to face opposition, but let's not. Let's tamper it down a little bit, okay? That was, that was free material. Let's come back. Now, super great news, right? Everybody thinking, everybody like real positive, ready to go out and take the world? Yeah. I mean, it's not exactly the best news, but the question in front of us is, are you willing to pay the price for the mission that God has given you? Are you willing to do that? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, if a man or woman has not discovered something that he or she is willing to die for, he or she is not fit to live. Are you willing to lose your personal preferences, your comforts, your life as you know it for the sake of God's mission, for God's call on your life? So in light of the fact that we could face significant opposition when we share the truth of who Jesus is and the world that Jesus wants to create through us, what, what do we do? What do we do with that? Here's what we do. We keep sharing. We keep doing it. We don't stop. Without a lot of drama or massive Facebook posts, Paul and Barnabas did this. Paul was left for dead, and yet they kept sharing. Verse 20 says, when the disciples surrounded Paul, he got up and entered the city again. The following day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. If a whole town had gathered to throw literal stones at me for something I said, I wouldn't go back to the town. That's just me. I'm a chicken. But Paul did. He went right back into the town. He kept sharing, moved on to the next town, kept sharing. Why? Because the message is so beautiful. The message is so beautiful. Have you ever been to a, a really great restaurant? I'm just going to take that silence as yes. When you did, what did you do? You told everybody about it. You became a restaurant evangelist. Like, let me tell you about this restaurant. I had this thing, had some shrimp, and uh, oh my gosh. Uh, my, my good friend, uh, Stacy, who directs our kids' ministry, she recently went to Memphis, and I spent six years in Memphis. She's like, where do I need to go? I'm like, oh, okay, so you need barbecue, you go to Central Barbecue. You need some fried chicken, you go to Gus's Fried Chicken. You want the best donuts you've ever put in your mouth, you go to Gibson's. Like, I was telling her about all the places to eat. Why? Because I had experienced some really great food. And I want somebody else to experience it. Paul and Barnabas experienced something far greater than a great restaurant. They had received the gift of a life changed, of a life redeemed, of a life that moved from hate to love, of a life that moved from diversity to unity, a life that had been hopeless but was now full of hope, from a life of anxiety to one that is filled with peace. They experienced a grace and a gift that was too valuable for one or two people to keep to themselves, and so they kept sharing, even if it meant facing opposition as a result. And when we share the beauty of that message, you just never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. 
Back to my uh, college days, there was one friend that I became good friends with because uh, she was in uh, two, of my, two classes. I shared two classes with her my first semester of college. Um, so we became quick friends. Now, we couldn't be further apart in our upbringing, in our faith, in the way that we saw the world. But for whatever reason, we hit it off. And we hung out together. And we would talk for hours about Everything about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, about life, about the world, all of these things we would talk about. It was tempting to not cross that conversational bridge with her because I didn't know how it was going to turn out. But the gift that I'd received was, was too great to just keep to myself. And so we talked about these things. Well, after my first year of college, she transferred to Ohio University. We lost touch. About two and a half years later, I was living in Perrysburg after um, a year at Bowling Green State University, and I got a Christmas card, and the return address was uh, from Florida, and I was like, I don't know anybody in Florida, so I opened it up, and it was from Susie. She had moved to Florida, and I was like, I got to talk to her, and so I called uh, information, and uh, young people, um, this is going to blow your mind, <laughs> this is... He's going to just wait. <laughs> there used to be a phone number where if you wanted someone's phone number, you could call it and they would give it to you. It's the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did that and, um, and I called her. And we got to talking and we talked for a long time and she was saying things like, God did this in my life. And God did that in my life. And I'm just sitting there on the phone like, what? And I finally cut her off. I'm like, hold on a second. Time out. You're not the same Susie I went to college with. And she's like, I know. She's like, God changed my life. And I have you to thank because no one else would talk to me about that stuff, and you did. This is not about, hey, isn't Fitz awesome? What a good pastor. Because here's the thing, I screwed up more frequently than I get it right. But this was just one instance of me saying, man, I've got this gift, and I want to share it with someone, and you just never know what will happen. And here's the thing, when you share that gift with someone, you never know what will happen that seed you plant might turn into nothing. You might face opposition. You may get stoned for it, figuratively or literally, but who knows? It might result in someone experiencing the grace and love of Jesus for the first time in their lives. Isn't that worth it? And beyond that, as James suggests in the opening words of his letter to the early churches, he writes, the testing of your faith produces endurance. Here's the thing. When you share it and you face opposition, you get stronger. We get stronger and people get introduced to the love of Jesus. I think those things are worth it. Don't you? Say yes. Okay, good. All right. So Paul and Barnabas, they continued their travel throughout various cities. They ended up in Antioch where they began. And upon their arrival, they gathered the church together and reported everything that God had accomplished through their activity and how God had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. 
they didn't share about the resistance they faced. I mean, they might have, but the main thrust of their message when they returned home was that others got to experience Jesus who had never experienced it before. And that was worth celebrating. Was it hard? Yes. Did everything go according to plan? No, they probably didn't have getting stoned in the process in their plan book. Did they face opposition? Oh man, did they? Was it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because people got to experience Jesus. Friends, we have been given such a beautiful and needed gift. We've experienced Jesus who loves us far more than we deserve, who's blessed us, who's provided for us, who has given us healing and peace and life. And here's what that same Jesus says. Freely you've received, now freely give. Freely give. Don't hoard it for yourself. People need to receive what you have received. People need to experience that love. People need to experience that strength. People need to experience that provision, healing, and peace. Will the gift that we have to share always be received with open arms? No, it won't be. But it's a risk we have to take. And it's one that's worth taking because, friends, you just never know what will happen. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for the gift that you are in our lives. Even take away all the things you bring with you, the peace and the strength and the, all that stuff. Just the fact that we can know you is such a gift. So I pray for those of us in the room who have already received that gift. God, I pray that you would uh, give them the strength and the motivation to continue sharing that gift with others. In whatever form that takes, it might be a conversation with someone. It might be meeting the needs of someone. It might be uh, alleviating suffering in someone. But whatever that is, I pray that they would not shrink from possible opposition because, Jesus, we just never know what will happen. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.